coverage here as well. The assistant professor of infectious disease at the University of Toledo's College of Medicine, Dr. Joel Kammeyer, is joining us now. Uh, Dr. Joel, first and foremost, thank you for taking the time to uh, to speak with us. I know that Toledoans have been hitting the stores, my friend. They're they're out and about. They're trying to stock up on everything. First off, how are you? Secondly, how busy are you right now? Uh, thanks for having me, and thanks for asking. I'm doing well. We're um, quite busy right now. Um, at present, there are still no cases in the city of Toledo. There are no cases in Lucas County. But, you know, we have kind of shifted our focus from what we have been doing with upper respiratory illnesses three and four weeks ago. Of course, you know, every day patients will come into the emergency department with upper respiratory illnesses. And, you know, a few weeks ago, we would treat these as viral illnesses and most of those patients would be discharged. Now, in at least some cases, we're thinking about whether they might meet criteria for the coronavirus. And so there have been a few people that we've looked into a little bit more um, specifically, but, you know, so far, no cases in Toledo and Lucas County. So uh, nonetheless, it's keeping us very busy. So. That's that's good to hear. I know that a lot of people are uh, obviously very concerned as this has and this is an un I guess maybe unprecedented uncharted territory uh, for for us as especially from the sports angle as we noticed the Huntington Center is not going to hold any events until April. The Walleye and the ECHL have postponed. The University of Toledo had their men's and women's basketball teams pulled off the court there in Cleveland. And so for, for people like us in the sports world, this is like devastating. This is a total a roadblock for, for us. Was it the right call, in your opinion? Um, I don't think that anybody's really necessarily going to disagree uh, that they canceled the NCAA tournament because that's really what's on people's minds. It's March, March Madness. But is canceling the tournament maybe the, the best call because we don't know enough about this thing? My thinking on this has shifted from about Monday morning to sometime yesterday, right? So um, on Monday, my own thought was that some of these calls were a little bit premature. But as this has evolved over the past week, I think that what is happening is that our policymakers, more than anything, are looking at what is happening in Italy. In northern Italy, the pandemic has really, really become just a crippling event to the medical system in Northern Italy. Um, They're having hundreds of uh, cases. They're they're having actually thousands of new cases per day in Northern Italy. Um, I think they had 2,000 new cases a few days ago in a single day. Um, Deaths that number in the three digits. And, And I think that as we look at what really interrupts transmission more than anything, you know, looking at events that hold many people in one places, in one place is the concern, right? So we look at cruise ships. We look at the nursing home in Washington State. Um, there was a Biogen conference that has led to, um, you know, several cases out. I think that was in Massachusetts. And, you know, political conferences, the CPAC and APAC conferences, that were held in the last week or so, all of those have had cases. And I think that as we're examining how this is really transmitted, you know, events that hold a lot of people in one place are just really not an option right now. You're right, we're, we're really in uncharted territory, and this is an unprecedented event. My thinking on this has shifted, and I do think that this has been the right call over the last couple of days as we're trying to 
avoid a situation that is happening in northern Italy. Dr. Kammeyer, what about people just going about their daily business, restaurants, bars, that kind of thing where they're just looking to get out a a little bit? What is your uh, thinking there? What's your advice? And this is a great question. And, again, I don't think that there is a single right answer. Um, You know, on the one hand, as I say, today – We have no cases in Toledo, and I think that, you know, going about our daily business in those sorts of venues is is still a very reasonable thing to do. Um, It is a different question to evaluate what happens when you put 6,000 people in the Huntington Center for a walleye game. That is the um, type of setting where a transmission event would be, you know, potentially more concern that could – it infects quite a few people at, uh, at you know, um, a single time. Right now, I think that proceeding about, you know, our business in terms of restaurants and so forth makes sense. Um, I should also say, though, that today's advice may not be the advice a week from now or three weeks from now. Um, hopefully, all of this is going to lead to a situation in which we've interrupted some transmission events and we, that we prevent this from becoming a significant local epidemic. But, you know, I think that we're all – bracing ourselves a little bit for the idea that there may be cases locally in sometime in the next few days and weeks. And, you know, we need to just kind of adjust as new information comes in. So, Doctor, is there a moment where we'll say, okay, this, this indicates that we're, we're over this a little bit uh, to the point to where we're going to get back to normal? So another great question. And I spend certainly a part of my time each day trying to read the information that's coming out of China and South Korea and and also domestically, you know, Washington State, Westchester County, and New York, trying to understand where this is all headed. Um, I will say that as much concern as we have locally and nationally and as challenging as this remains in places like Italy and Iran, you know, we are seeing fewer cases in China. And so, in fact, my understanding is we're seeing dramatically fewer cases in China. So as we have evaluated, you know, from afar, looking at what they've been doing in Wuhan province and throughout China, some of those measures seemed pretty draconian, but it certainly looks like they're working. It certainly seems that they're seeing fewer cases, and they have, as we would say in epidemiology, they have bent the curve. You know, they have turned the curve, so they're not seeing exponentially new cases every day. They're seeing a downward trend in cases. And so it is possible to, um, to, to change this, uh, but it's going to require the measures that are currently being implemented. Dr. Joel Kammeyer of the uh, University of Toledo joining us uh, right now. And uh, Dr. Kammeyer, one of the uh, the first initial thoughts that I had about this coronavirus is because this the the mortality rate of this a virus. It's not like you catch it and you die, right? It's not as similar to uh, the Black Plague or Spanish flu or whatever the case may be. But to me, this kind of signals to us as a, a as a species that this is our opportunity to learn with something that is less lethal, um, to learn and, and to put some sort of protocol and procedure in place that we 
because we haven't really faced anything like this before. And with the global society that we live in now, uh, with global travel easier than ever and uh, the global economy and packages being shipped left and right uh, all across the world, we're all basically connected. We've seen how quickly this thing has spread from one city in China all across the world and how it's had a massive effect. So uh, did we get lucky that the coronavirus is not as uh, is not as dangerous as maybe something that could come out in the future. And do you do you see this as kind of kind of as a learning curve uh, for us as humans? So let's first talk about how dangerous it actually is, right? Because this is um, something that's worth clarifying. So scientists around the world are trying to kind of come up with the actual mortality rate that's associated with this, and it's very difficult to do that. The lowest number that we have seen is in South Korea, um, where they have been excellent at finding cases. So they find a lot of cases, treat them early, and they've, had a, they, they've identified a mortality rate of less than 1%. But still, a mortality rate of 07 to 0.8% is, is a concern. That's a real concern. And then it's also difficult to... Um, determine what the rate is because it depends a little bit on who is infected. We know that this virus is um, a bigger issue with patients that are older. So I was actually talking with a friend in France yesterday um, who said that, you know, in Paris, the emergency um, departments are are filled with um, patients that are 85 years old and up with respiratory illnesses. And we know that the mortality rate is higher in patients that are older. So when you see numbers that range from the 1.0 to 2.5% range, we have to understand that that is, you know, based on, first of all, how many cases are tested and caught and who is actually then being um, infected in those populations. So we shouldn't underestimate that, that these are fairly significant numbers. It does appear that most patients are not getting sick immediately. And one of the points that we've learned from our, uh, from our uh, colleagues out in Washington State is that it doesn't appear that this is an acute illness that occurs suddenly like influenza, um, that there is a prodrome, as we say, for a few days, and then patients do tend to get sicker. You know, as it happens, though, your larger point is correct. We're all connected, um, global travel, uh, places, people, you know, um, from Toledo in, in sites all around the world every single day. And that is why we're in a situation that is really unprecedented that we haven't seen in our lifetime. We need to take this seriously. It does have a much, a much higher mortality rate than the flu. We can turn this back, but it requires the measures that are currently being implemented in order to do so. Dr. Cam Meyer, if people would like to get tested or think they need to be tested, can they do that today? So the biggest challenge, and and as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, my thinking on all of this kind of has been evolving and changing over the past week. The primary reason why my thinking on this has been, um, has changed is because testing is proving to be very difficult. Now, I should say that at the Toledo Lucas County Department of Health, at each of the major hospital systems in the city, at the university, you know, we have dedicated people that are working around the clock and pulling 16, 17-hour days. So are all of our infectious diseases specialists in the town, 
in a critical care. We, we have many, many people that are working very, very hard on the response. The bottleneck is testing. And right now, the Ohio Department of Health is, has not been able to ramp up testing to meet entirely the demand that we have. So this is a challenge. So we're basing our testing on really the following criteria. We're looking at patients that have a significant uh, for respiratory illness, um, patients that are febrile are a concern, um, patients that have you know, certain laboratory abnormalities are a concern, and we're really looking at abnormalities on a chest X-ray and then in a lot of cases subsequently on a CT scan to determine who are actually cases that might need to be evaluated and examined. It is certainly true that in patients that do not have really um, several of those characteristics, the likelihood that this is COVID-19 is very, very low at this point in time. You know, so, so we are selectively testing the patients that are most likely to fit the clinical definition of, um, of, of COVID-19. It is not going to be possible for at least a few days and maybe longer to test more broadly than that. You know, so for patients that are not feeling well, the proper response, as always, is to you know, see your physician and to see if you meet some of those criteria. But without a fever, without significant abnormalities on an X-ray, without low oxygen, et cetera, et cetera, those patients are really not at substantial risk for COVID-19 and probably won't be tested at this point in time. Doctor, people see these drive-through uh, testing areas is that different from the testing you're talking about? So my understanding is, is that there are, right. So in South Korea, there have been, they've done a terrific job in South Korea and have had the capacity to, you know, move forward with um, actually, you know, patients that they come forward. And what happens in South Korea is, is that, you know, a healthcare practitioner does a quick interview and screens patients based on their symptoms to determine whether they might actually have the coronavirus. So even in South Korea, it is not possible to um, get tested unless you, excuse me, unless you have some symptoms that are actually suggestive of the coronavirus. So that has happened in South Korea, but in very few places otherwise around the world. Again, I have colleagues throughout Europe and I was chatting with them on a WhatsApp chat, chat last night, and it doesn't seem that there's drive-through clinics in Europe. And certainly we don't have the kind of testing that would allow us to do that now here as well. I know that there are um, places and locations that have been particularly hard hit, like in Seattle, where I, I know this is being given consideration, but, you know, right now, again, the main bottleneck is the labs and making sure that there's enough testing availability for the patients who are at highest risk. So, you know, for the patients that are at highest risk, we will get them tested. We will get them tested without any doubt. And there are more commercial labs that are coming online by the day. You know, patients that are low risk and aren't sick, you know, we have to kind of think that if our pretest probability that this is coronavirus is low, they're not the ones who are going to be the priority for testing at this point in time. What about flying? Uh, somebody that's in good health, has shown no signs of any issues, 20-something uh, college kid. What's your advice right now about flying? 
So, and I think that um, I appreciate this question because, you know, a, a good percentage of, you know, my colleagues in healthcare, nurses and so forth, are asking me this question every day. So anyone who's listening, here's my answer, right? Um, you know, today's epidemic may not be tomorrow's epidemic, right? So the last I checked yesterday, I think we were around 1,400 cases nationwide. You know, the question really is going to be, in two weeks, are we going to be at 1,700 or are we going to be at 10,000? And, and no one knows the answer to that question. I think that the most responsible advice that I can offer is, is that right now, today, it depends on one's own personal assessment of risk. I think that today, overall, as we look at this, the, the personal risk to individuals remains quite low. It remains quite low. Um, will that, and so personally, if I had an important meeting today and I needed to be somewhere and it wasn't a trivial concern, I personally would go. Now, with that said, I know that, you know, part of the response of businesses, part of the response of, you know, uh, corporate entities is to really evaluate what travel is needed and what travel is not needed. Um, and, and I think that it's important to listen to the advice of those who employ us and, and you know, um, to determine which travel is more important and maybe which travel is a little bit less important. Personally, if I had to get on an airplane today and I had to visit, I don't know, my, you know, um, cousins in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, because they had something going on, I would do so. But with that said, that may change in two weeks. That may change in four weeks. We just have to see how all of this evolves. Go, go ahead, Bolino. Oh, I was just going to say we're going to Mexico. Like, we should be fine. I, I'm feeling very positive right now, Doctor. That was, the, that was the news I needed to hear. I need some positivity, all this doom and gloom. I needed to, hey, personal assessment of risk. I can live with that. Yeah. Doctor, before we let you go, what about uh, just uh, like, okay, let's say you go to the YMCA and you're playing basketball against guys. Mm. What's your, what's your uh, advice there? So, right. <laughs> you know, and I think that you're touching on the idea that there's just so many parts of, you know, our, our interactions with one another that are um, that are challenging to figure out. I, I have to say, if I may, you know, I think of all of this that is um, <laughs> all of the news that's come out this week that's made me a little bit sad. You know, the, the fact that the OHSAA has felt that they have had to cancel sporting events for our high school athletes. You know, I, I it, it just makes me so sad. You know, and our college athletes that want to play in the NCAA tournament. Now, I grew up in Antwerp, Ohio, and I was a, you know, mediocre basketball player back in my day. And, you know, the Antwerp Archers just completed a 25-1 and season. And I think about, you know, the kids that are going on in their state basketball tournaments and the idea that this is all going to be postponed. It's really unfortunate. But, but I also think it's the right thing to do at this point in time, you know, because when we look at northern Italy and we imagine that, gosh, could it happen here? It could happen here. I mean, the people who are really, really – um, you know, uh, looking at this are sounding the warning alarms. They say, if you want to stop an Italy-type situation, then you need to do it now, and you need to take measures to do it now. You know, for recreational sports, I, I again think that 
you know, some of those things should proceed as usual. Um, if I can find time today, which I probably won't, I'm planning to go to the gym. If I can, if I can make it over to LA Fitness, I'm going to do that. But, you know, again, that may change as this evolves. So, you know, um, I think that we should uh, really be kind of checking back and understand that this is a situation that is an evolution and, um, you know, the advice in two weeks may be quite different than what it is today. Dr. Joel, you just uh, you just guaranteed that L.A. Fitness around here will be busy today. <laughs> uh, we well, appreciate I that. So. You should get a kickback on your membership then. I, I think that no, we should... I, Well, you know, we could, we could request oh, that. Hold, <laughs> so hold on. Do Do, Dr. Joel, we wanted to know about the spray that they use at the gyms. Oh, yeah. What is that stuff? Do you know what that is? You know, like at Planet Fitness, I, they got these spray bottles. It's like some, I don't know, some jungle juice. You spray on there and you wipe it down. Allegedly, it's safe. I, I don't exactly know um, what they use, but suffice it to say that, you know, infection control practices aren't really new to any of us, right? You know, we are all very attentive to this right now, but in the abstract, we all understand that we should be washing our hands to prevent the spread of illness a lot more than we do. Right now it's in focus. But and everyone is you know very focused on washing our hands, and I'm glad about that. But this is, you know, this is something that should be happening all day, every day, right? Um, you know, in order to prevent the transmission of influenza and other viruses. So you know, gyms have always been um, aware of the fact that there are, you know, um, potential uh, spread of entities such as MRSA. You know, we saw back in. What was it, 2006, 2007, the Minnesota Vikings had, or Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think, had, you know, um, MRSA that uh, traveled kind of throughout their football team, and they had seven or eight players that were infected a number of years ago. And we do, we have seen cases that have been, you know, um, spread at gyms. And so I think that gyms are very attentive to the idea that, you know, there are um, infectious pathogens that can be spread just because we're sharing equipment. And so some of what has been put in place at gyms is actually serving us well right now um, and allows us a little bit of a measure of comfort that you know, the equipment is getting clean and that as we share equipment, you know, we can potentially – we, we can feel reasonably good that the equipment is safe and, and measures are being taken to protect us. So. Dr. Joel, I can't thank you enough. I know it was uh, very uh, last minute, and, and BC had uh, slid into your DMs, as the kids like to say on Twitter, but we greatly appreciate you spending some time with us this morning and uh, helping us uh, g gain a better understanding of what kind of we're going through.